Hey, everybody, we're live from the mobile studios here in Miami in the crypto capital, tech capital of the world, Miami, Florida. So welcome, everybody. We're here with Disrupt TV. We're in the uh, what we call the green room, and we got some awesome guests. We're going to do some quick intros. And we're going to talk, share a little bit where you are today and what you're going to talk about. So, Deb, what's going on? Hey, I'm in gorgeous, gorgeous Maine on the water. So, you know, nothing more needs to be said. Life is wonderful. <laughs> and I have no clue what I'm going to talk about today. It's whatever you guys ask me, I'll come up with some something. You are a master. We love you for that. Shri, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? Hi, I'm on the Upper East West Side of Manhattan. You can see there's the Hudson yeah. River. And we learned in watching Hamilton that everything's legal in New Jersey. That's New Jersey across the Hudson River over there. And I want to talk about you and your Batmobile, Ray. <laughs> Excellent. Evan, where are we today? What are we talking about? I am uh, at an undisclosed location. No, I'm in the bunker in the Massachusetts area, and we're going to talk about my favorite subject, B2B, social media marketing and engagement, something folks on this uh, meeting know a lot about. We have no clue what you're talking about. We'll all learn. No, just kidding. <laughs> Evan is one of the top influencers in the world. All right, we'll take it back to you, Elle. All right, three, two, one. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Disrupt TV show on Twitter and send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He loves cars. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. He's a regular television, business, and technology contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. From his car, welcome Ray Wong to Disrupt TV. Somewhere alive in Miami. Now, anyways, I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar, the chief digital evangelist of Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, and executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not keynoting, when he's not speaking, he's also, you can find him on, on outlets like Bloomberg, outlets like Business TV, and of course, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. So, Hey, it's not about us. We say this all the time. It's about our amazing guests. Who do we have to kick it off today? It's a privilege for us to have someone who influences influencers. Oh, uh, my goodness. Evan, Evan Crystal is business-to-business -business thought leader and a top technology influencer. For over a decade, Evan has been a noteworthy leader in the B2B tech space. He's been named as the top 20 most mentioned and retweeted uh, by both CIOs and CMOs, and the number one influencer in the telecom, cloud, unified communications, and Internet of, Internet of Things arena. Evan has an act, listen to this way, an aggregate social media audience of 500,000 people, half a million people, 30 wow. years of enterprise sales, uh, alliances, business development experience in telecom and IT is what's the foundation behind his consultative services. Evan has helped dozens of B2B tech uh, clients, including 3M, AT&T Business, Intel, Qualcomm, and many, many others um, throughout the world. He's a Forbes Business Council member and a contributor, and an excellent follow on Twitter at Evan Crystal, E-V-A-N-K-I-R-S-T-E-L. Welcome, Evan, to the Shrek TV. Well, good to be here. I'll see you later. Thanks for the plug. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, I'm here amongst digital giants, speaking of your book, Ray. So 
I don't know what to say here. I'm, I'm feeling rather intimidated, but I'll, I'll do my best to share maybe a couple of insights. How's that? You know, that's why you're here. You're class act. Thank you so much. You know, oh, one of the things you. that we've been talking about is where the state of B2B social media is going, but more importantly, the whole notion of we're influence, we're media. I mean, we're seeing shifts. We're definitely seeing it. And what's the current state of play? Where do you see things? What's important? Well, it's been fascinating to watch, you know, you and, and Vala have been on social on these digital channels for, gosh, over, over a decade. And what we've seen, I think uh, I've seen through the pandemic is really a 10x almost increase in real life engagement. It's no longer about a news feed. It's no longer about the latest sports scores. It is, it is really about making meaningful connection and, um, and discovering and educating and learning and sharing and curating. And so the pandemic has, of course, shifted us to working from anywhere, working from home. And so the power of social and digital, the importance has really increased beyond, you know, what, what I ever would even have imagined pre-pandemic. So as everything else has moved to digital, you know, channels, so have we as, as human beings, the, the social part of social media. Yeah, I mean, do you see this as an integral part of how brands are engaging in sales or showcasing what's happening or creating new types of communication mechanisms? Or are they driving community? Um, and, and what what are the key mediums? Yeah, I think I think brands are definitely waking up B2B brands, tech brands, that is, to the power of social and digital. It's no longer about the face-to-face -face all the time. It's no longer about just the golf outings and the boondoggles, which we all love. But it's about that day-to-day -day engagement, that community building, as you mentioned, and the, the and thought leadership. And increasingly, uh, thought leadership is, is what happens on social. And brands are at a fundamental disadvantage against personalities. That's why you have Elon Musk with, what, 50 times the reach of a Tesla. It's why you have Mark Benioff at Salesforce leading from the front with his, his, his views, his, his philosophy, and his leadership on display for not just the employees, but the whole world. And, and that applies to uh, you know, us together on this call. It's, it's about people connecting to people. You know, as Brian said, you know, human to human kind of communication. And brands you know, are, are, are struggling a bit to, to get that mind share, share of voice, which is why they have amazing advocates, uh, evangelists, and influencers to help with their reach and engagement. You mentioned two excellent uh, business leaders who were who embraced social media well before the pandemic. Easily a decade presence on social media with Tesla and Salesforce. And more and more, I see traditional company CEOs, um, you know, not necessarily digital natives like CEO of Ford, as an example, or even CEO of Qualcomm active on social, responding to customers, partners, uh, sharing their vision and their roadmap, uh, doing live events, streamed um, on social. So do you, get, do you have a sense that uh, senior business leaders finally, you know, and I say finally because, you know, us three, you're right, we've been active for well over a decade, understand the power of humanizing their business, showing generosity, showing accessibility, showing empathy and humility by volunteering their time across these different channels and really, you know, putting a face to the brand. Yeah, I, I think there's there's been a big wake up call and it's not just about, you know, PR and publicity and, uh, you know, being the biggest uh, voice out there. It's about, you know, sharing ideals and idealism and insights and, you know, um, uh, political persuasion beliefs a belief system and it's not and, and you had many many constituents out there on social it's not just customers we think of social media marketing and selling to customers but you have investors you have employees imagine that mm -hmm. communicating with your employees in a really meaningful personal way um you have uh partners and partnerships and um and you have the global nature of business the ability to reach a global audience with one video or one tweet so there's so many reasons why. Um, the big question to me is why not? Why are still so many executives reluctant to kind of bypass their PR team and get themselves out there 
and you know it's it's the typical reasons you know there it, it can be a pretty uh challenging environment um you do have to take your slings and arrows as well and um we've all seen the negative side as well as the upside of socials so but i think you're right the the, the velocity and the direction we're heading is to much more executive engagement and did the pandemic accelerate all of this, in your opinion, in terms I of a sense, so. sense of urgency to be on different channels? I think so. We, we realized that, you know, uh, leaders need to engage and communicate with their staff, with their employees and their peers in the business. And that isn't just about private emails. It's mm -hmm. about video. It's about audio. I mean, the tone of voice uh, is, is a huge factor in, in connection. It's about podcasting. We've seen, you know, amazing business leaders create and, and develop their own podcasts, their own point of view there. So all of these channels now are, are sort of coming together on social. You know, that's a great point, right? Um, we've got that picking up new channels like the metaverse. We see that as a $20.7 trillion marketplace by the end of the decade. But what does that mean? Is in real life still important? Like, do you want to see people? Do we need to see people? Absolutely. When does that happen? I think it's not an either or proposition. I just returned from two weeks in the road at HIMSS, which is a community of 40,000 healthcare professionals. I was at Enterprise Connect. And there, there is just nothing like meeting old friends, making new friends and connecting, you know, in a safe way. Um, and, and so it's it's end end. It, it's, it's social and digital and in real life. Uh, it's not sort of, uh, we used to look at it as, okay, is it a virtual or in-person event? And I think every event now is, is a hybrid of sorts, as work is. You know, we no longer working from home. We're working at the office. We're in this new, strange sort of hybrid world. Uh, where do you spend your time? Are there certain social networks that you believe are important for business leaders to be a part of? And then are there others where they may be on a decline and, and you, you perhaps may be spending less time? How do you focus in on, on the different channels and what advice do you have for a beginner executive? What's the one, two, three social networks that they should consider being a part of? Yeah, I think exploration and uh, and trying and, and discovering is key. So, you know, we've seen the meta properties of Facebook and and uh, and uh, Instagram really hit sort of a peak uh, engagement. We've seen the emergence of new networks like TikTok. Not that I'm suggesting you go on and create TikTok videos. <laughs> But, and we've seen this just a plethora of emerging semi-public or semi-private kind of communities. And, and so I think go to where there, there's a community of interest, whether it's a LinkedIn or Twitter where you can find the amazing sub communities, whether it's Reddit where you can find subreddits of gosh, 10 million subscribers in amazing emerging tech and, and business communities, or whether it's, you know, a private or semi, you know, open, uh, Slack channels, you know, Slack is becoming a kind of a, a social network, as is WhatsApp. So there are great ways to to meet like-minded folks you know, professionally and, and personally. And that might be Reddit. It might be Quora. It might be, um, hmm. you know, yet platforms we yet to, uh, to experience. You know, there's always the next big thing. Do you have a favorite? You know, I love Twitter. I'm a Twitter addict and I've been addicted to the openness of Twitter and the public square aspects forever. So it's a total personal addiction, I think, for all three of us, frankly, if I'm honest. It's going on. <laughs> but in terms of content, you know, uh, TikTok and Reddit just have amazing creators and there are things you can find there that you just don't find on a CNN or a, or a LinkedIn so go to where the creators are and go to where the you know, compelling content is and whatever your discipline or interests are. And, uh, you know, I th I'd say, you know, frankly, it's all the above. You really can't avoid that. I, I, I want to just a quick follow up, Ray, if you don't mind, because you've used the word creator a couple of times. And we're in the midst of a kind of the next generation of the web. Folks are referring to it as the third generation Web3 where it's, it's, it's tokenized and it's incentivizing creators because you can monetize easily on a blockchain and the content can actually create revenue streams for you. You can have your own coin, you can have, which I think you have. Uh, so what are your thoughts about, you know, these social networks when eventually they may adopt more of a decentralized uh, ledger and tokenized format where you actually can, 
you know, uh, earn some income by producing content. Yeah, and I think that's the next big thing with social media is enabling creators to get paid for their work. I mean, I used to think of creators as being oh, an artist or as a musician, and that's definitely the case. So there's, there's a need to allow them to monetize their content in new and different ways and channels through crypto and, and coins on the Rally blockchain and what have you. But there's also an opportunity for creators who haven't thought of themselves as creators to reach new audiences, to gamify their content, to uh, to enable subscription style content, and um, the opportunities are there. Whether it's uh, disrupt TV, or uh, you know someone writing a blog, or you know uh, uh, someone uh, doing cooking videos, uh, there, there's a there's a channel and there's an opportunity to monetize and turn that into a business in ways that just haven't existed even uh, one or two years ago. I agree. Yeah, you're completely right. I mean, we're seeing these shifts happen and people are, are starting to understand that this transition from physical to digital is real and you're going to be able to have immersive experiences between those two worlds. And at some point they will all come together. And, and that takes us to the interesting conversation about events. Right. Um, what happens in events? You kind of alluded like events are going to change. Uh, they're going to be hybrid. Uh, we'll start there. But what does that mean? Um, you know, is that something that's permanent? Is that something we're going to keep? Um, and what will events look like in the future? You know, I hope I hope they're open and I hope they're more inclusive than they have been. I mean, typically events have been something that maybe, you know, cost you thousands, five, ten thousand dollars to attend yeah. and very expensive to go to. We saw with the pandemic, the price of attending events go to virtually nothing or even free, which has opened it up to way more. Well, they pay you to come. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a good side. And so the more immersive and engaging and interactive these events can be on digital platforms, I, I'd, I'd love to see Dreamforce have 20 million people attend from all over the world <laughs> and too. not just fill up San Francisco, but really, you know, you know, enable people all over the world to learn, to educate, to connect. And I think that's what's really exciting. And whether that's through, you know, augmented reality or, or virtual reality, who knows what the platforms will be. But I, I think it's coming and very, you know, if not this year, we're going to see some amazing digital experiences, whether you're there in person or attending from across the globe. Yeah, there's an NFT event that's going to be held in, uh, in, 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 in a few weeks. And uh, these are uh, attendees have special access to backstage and some of the speakers mm. because they have acquired NFTs and they have digital wallets that give them premier level access at the event. And I thought that's a really is this interesting. The is this is the one in the Bahamas? Is this the one in the Bahamas? No, this is VCon, uh, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk's, uh, uh, which, I, 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 which I wish it was in the Bahamas. Then maybe I would go. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but I just think that, uh, you know, it's a clever way of, um, adding additional services or, or, or uh, benefits to digital property beyond just the collectible. Um, it, 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 almost, uh, it, it almost creates an influence uh, based on your wallet. Uh, what type of NFTs you hold <laughs> gives you premier access. Um, and I thought that's a, that's, a, that's a clever way. So maybe someday Ray will have that at his event. But uh, right sustainability badge. Yeah, there we go. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on 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 how hybrid events will eventually tap into this incredible, you know, uh, spending spree we've we've witnessed over the last year or so on NFTs? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I joined an event recently at Health, and your badge was an NFT. Uh, you know, so that's more than just something you throw in the trash maybe when you get home, but you keep it in your wallet. Maybe you use it to connect to other attendees as, as, as almost like a digital passport. I saw NFTs where you can actually donate to a cause of your yeah. choice through wow. buying the NFT. So that becomes a contribution, but something you can then highlight on your social profiles. So these 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 NFTs have all kinds of uh, you know use cases beyond you know pretty pictures of yeah. giraffes and uh and uh, monkeys yeah. really at that concert in 1989 we have no proof on the chain no it's kidding yeah. so, that's right you can you can no longer claim you were at will chamberlain's 100 point game when it was only about 2000 people 
about about a million people claimed they've been at they were at that game. So yeah, I get that right. That, that's a good. It's an amazing memory of these folks. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so yeah, no, but we're we're seeing that definitely. All right, real quick, I'm gonna ask you one last question. Think about what's happening in the influencer world. What does it mean? Like we got terms like analyst, influencer, media, press. Uh, what's the role of the influencer today? Where's it headed? I think it's headed towards towards niches. And, you know, I have a particular expertise in, in a few niche topics with 5G and IoT and, and some other related areas. So it's partnering with brands, uh, with companies, organizations, uh, in some cases, to, to really extend their voice, their reach, their share of voice on these social channels. And I act almost as an extension of their team. Uh, a lot of brands are lost on social media. So they need folks to really help amplify and extend their reach and engagement. And there are people like me doing this in all kinds of disciplines and verticals and uh, and with different products. So it's nice to be out of the corporate uh, world, as it were, as an independent. And this is a wonderful way to 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 fund my lifestyle and my what, what I do through through helping clients. Keep doing what you're doing. You do great work. You're a hard worker. Keep doing what you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. One of the top B2B thought leaders and top tech influencer, if not the top tech influencer in the UCAS and communication oh space, and even sometimes healthcare, we noticed. So <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter, E-V-A-N-K-I-R-S-T-E-L. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Friday. Thank you. Evan. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend. Thank I'll you, sir. You too. Cheers. Yeah, he works hard. He's, he's, he's uh, always oh, All the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of someone who's a, like legendary in this space. I mean, I learned a lot of my style and the way I produce content by following our next guest. Sri Sharmanson is an inaugural martial law visiting professor of digital innovation in Stony, uh, at Stony Brook School of Communication and Journalism. Sri is CEO and co-founder of DigiMentors, a digital, social, and virtual and hybrid event consulting company working with corporations, nonprofits, and startups around the world. <laughs> During the <laughs> pandemic, Sri hosted... Reg, you know this. During the pandemic, Shri hosted hundreds of episodes on multiple shows. This was daily to share accurate, useful information about various aspects of crisis. We've had 800 guests on our show over six years. He interviewed 600 guests across 25 countries in a 12-month span. In a 12, it makes you and I look like slackers. Yeah, Shri has served as, and many of you know that you know, know that Shri served as digital chief digital officer of New York City. Uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, and Columbia University, where he was full-time professor of journalism for over 20 years. Fast Company named Shreen one of the top, one of the 100 most creative people in business. He was also named one of the 35 most influential people in social media by Pointer Institute and most influential chief digital officer by the chief digital officer CDO club. He's an excellent follower, and this, you can tell how early he was on Twitter, at Sri, S-R-E-E. Yeah, I couldn't get Vala. Welcome, Sri, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. You had your boss's book up there, Vala. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm showing it here. I have Ray's book on only on Kindle, so I don't have it to show, but you do. And then since we always must show the boss books of our bosses, I'm showing you my wife's book. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Rupa, that's an extraordinary executive. Uh, just 30 seconds. Uh, I collaborated with Rupa and her team to bring the first ever headless CRM in a smart cockpit of a car. First ever in the world. We've actually filed a dozen patents on this principle. And it was Rupa and her team bringing us together to really collaborate. And we launched this at uh, Consumer Electronics Show 2020. And it was really talk of the show. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> She's awesome. She's Thank awesome. You. She will appreciate that. She's at Rupa Online, R-O-O-P-A Online. And uh, she just started a new job, Vala, at IDEX Corp, which is a company in the industrial space that has dozens of companies that, it work, that they work with, including one brand you will definitely know, the Jaws of Life. Wow. wow. Well, they're wow. lucky to have her. They're lucky to have her. That's Thank you. fantastic. On your For sure. Thank you, sir. Congratulations. Um, that's amazing. And it's great to you know see all that excitement here. And uh, I, I want to share some news. I think, I don't know if it's public. You probably tell us you're taking on a new responsibility in July 1st. This sounds very, very interesting. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's with Cronkite Pro. 
So we're excited. This is what instruction, real world training. Um, and of course, I mean, this is really about getting the next set of communicators out the door. And so what does this mean? And, you know, how did you get into this? And, you know, I knew you were interested in media. I didn't know you were that deep, especially, you know. So tell us about Concrete Pro. What is it about? You know, how did it get started? And more importantly, what is this new passion or existing passion that's now being, you know, completely, you know, pushed out? Sure. Well, thank you so much. And again, such a pleasure to be here with both of you, people I admire, people I follow, and not just you two, to have Evan and Deb on the same show is fantastic. Everyone, please follow these folks if you aren't already on all the socials. Uh, so I'm joining on July 1st, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, which is at, the, at Arizona State University. And what we're going to be doing is working on helping folks get better skilled at communications, no matter where they are in the world, no matter what company or what industry they're in. What I have learned is one of the reasons we are in the third year of a pandemic is because of bad communications. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that we have a war in Ukraine is because a world leader has convinced some section of his military and his people that a, an, uh, a democratically elected Jewish man whose father lost three brothers in World War II, two Nazis, is a Nazi himself. That tells you that communications is broken in so many ways, even as we celebrate how well all these social media tools and everything else have been used by everybody, including, of course, the president of Ukraine. So this is an important moment. And what Cronkite Pro will do is bring together all training that we offer in Phoenix, in LA, in DC, and online that is not for a degree program. So anything that's not a degree coming out of the Cronkite School, and just because it tells you how old I am that now I know not everybody knows Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite was one of the most important journalists in American history. He was the anchor of the CBS Evening News at a time when millions of people would tune in every night to hear what was happening in the world, and they believed him. And there's a very famous moment where LBJ, President Johnson, when Cronkite goes out and discovers the truth about what's happening in Vietnam, that President Johnson says, if we've lost Walter, if I've lost Walter, then if I've lost Walter Cronkite, I have lost America. So we could use, all of us could use a little more Walter Cronkite in our lives. And that's why I'm so honored to team up with Dean Batinto Bats, as well as uh, President Michael Crow at ASU, to put together this program and it starts in July and I'll need help from everybody who's listening. <laughs> we need partners, collaborators, trainers, folks who can help everyone in the world be become, become better at communicating and we'll be collaborating a lot. So looking forward to hearing from everybody. You have my email address right on your screen. Would love to talk to you. That's amazing. That's amazing. One of the things that I uh, appreciate about you for, for and I've been following you for a long time is you do an excellent job of representing the organizations that you're a part of. Um, there's uh, obviously uh, uh, truth, there's uh, uh, authenticity, empathy, transparency, but again, you're masterful at, at, at the power of, um, you know, power of pull. Um, you're not pushing stuff, trying and crossing your fingers, hoping you, to make a connection. The reason why Ray, myself and others follow you is you have a unique way of pulling us into your sphere and so, so, and, I, and I mean, we're talking for an hour about this topic, but how do you get someone who's not versed in storytelling and journalism, so people who don't appreciate uh, being honest 100% of the time, as Professor Clay Christensen used to say, it's easier to be, uh, follow your principles 100% of the time versus 98% of your time. How do you, how do you teach these core values that help you become such a great communicator that you are today? Oh, thank you. I, I just start by just a shout out to, uh, the great, late, great Professor Peter uh, Christensen, who has done so much to teach people about innovation, disruption, the things that this show is about, the things that both of you are so much about. So I'm glad we were able to name check him on this show. I, I would say that uh, there, it, it does come down to storytelling, and we're seeing it in real time. Uh, we're, we, we mentioned the president of, of Ukraine, but what about Arnold Schwarzenegger's video? Wow. That's going to be wow. an artifact of this war, the way you remember that uh, when Colin Powell uh, using wrong information at the UN to send us into war 
in Iraq was became an artifact of that war. This is going to be an artifact of this war. He looked directly into the camera and talked to Russian soldiers and talked not first about all the things he believed. He talked about his connection to Russia and how much they love him there and showed why they are being you know, lied to in a way that I couldn't think of anyone else who could have done it at that moment. Will whether he whether the message will get through and all of that is you know is, is sure. not clear. The other thing I will say is I recently wrote about that piece about that video in my newsletter, which you can find on Substack Srinet.substack.com, and in it I uh, talk not only about Arnold Schwarzenegger but about here's another name you haven't thought of in a while, Sting. You might remember in 1985, you were very young, maybe not born yet, but he made a song called Russians. And it's about whether we could survive the Cold War because Russians love their children, too. And we knew that in the old Politburo, in the worst Soviet empire, the main leader had people around him who he trusted and who had some check and balance kind of effect on him. Today with Putin, we're all counting on him loving his two daughters, mm -hmm. and we don't know if there's anybody around him. So the fact that Sting went on Instagram and replayed that song for the first time in years, yeah. he said that song was irrelevant. You know, what might serve, yeah. save us, me yeah. and you, is if the Russians love their children too. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that nine-minute video with Arnold Schwarzenegger was just stunning. It just compact with passion and wisdom. And, and, uh, and clarity. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Great. Go ahead. Yeah, no, one of the things that we keep seeing is really, you know, you're right about communications. I mean, the lack of communications or the misinformation, all these are playing in a role in terms of shaping public opinion, right or wrong. It's changing the way we look at proportional response. It's changing the way we kind of connect, you know, given all we've seen in the past few weeks. I mean, so what, what do we do? What can journalists do to use social media you know, more wisely? right? More ethically, um, especially, you know, holding restraint, right? We've seen emotion Trump logic. We've seen people take, you know, things that were probably not political, make them more political. We think seen, you know, um, snippets of information turn into, you know, explosive content that probably might not should have been. And, and it's happening everywhere. And, and the proliferation is happening even more. And by the time we get to the metaverse, right, we'll be wondering what's a deep fake and not or wait, maybe my reality is completely messed up. Up my medication, you know, but I don't know, you know, we're seeing all this. Yeah, we, we don't know the answer to where this could go, but I will just say, uh, you know, the, the way people are responding on social media to the, the enormous power of visuals is part of the problem. And I can tell you that I was fooled as were millions of people. Do you remember the island that was being defended by Ukrainian soldiers and the Russians said, we will you know, disarm and they said, you know, F you. And that became a huge thing. And the next thing was supposed to the island was blown up. They all died. Well, we can report as we've confirmed this week that those sailors did say all of that, but they were not bombed. They weren't killed. And in fact, they were exchanged in a prisoner swap just in the last oh. couple of days. So, uh, so imagine all of us who got sucked into that mm. probably pro Ukraine kind of, propaganda to show the power of, you know, the, these these incredibly strong and uh, and courageous people, but not the truth, although not the full truth, uh, is an example of how journalists should be very careful about verifying, double checking, triple checking before they publish anything because they can get the wrong so easily but how do you do this it's metaverse speed right i mean these things happen and you don't want to be last right yeah. like how, how do people do that how do you teach that say like, yeah, how do well, we I, I would say that let's not be first you know this is do you remember in the old days of disinformation which was email would come to you and someone would say do you remember the famous you i my friend woke up it's always my friend he woke up in new york city in a tub of ice you remember this and why because yeah he, yeah like mckinney yeah or uh, from the top of the World Trade Center during the attack, uh, there was somebody who was about to take a photo and he took a, a kind of a selfie of himself back in the day in 2001. The building collapsed and they found the photo of him just before the plane hit the tower. And that's now coming an email to you. So the fact that I am, you know, I believe I'm so important that that photo would be found and it would be sent to me first before everybody in the world, before CNN. It was, it was amazing, actually. First was the way we got fooled in those days. 
Today, it's much more dangerous, much faster. And also, by the way, if I got a rumor before the internet, I could only tell five people at the water cooler. With email, I could tell dozens of people. Now I can tell millions of people and still be, the, it's the same error, the same wrong information, but weaponized at scale. Well, Shri, you remember when we both attended the third Nigerian email conference, right? The keynote address <laughs> from postal scams to email scams. We have come a long way, infant child. Remember that? <laughs> so. I, have, I, I have young children uh, in middle school, in high school, and a freshman in college. And I try to often remind them that your personal brand today and definitely more and more in the future is your digital footprint plus your digital exhaust. Those un unintended consequences of breadcrumbs of the video, the photo, even hashtag fail or, you know, the tone and sentiment is so easily extracted in, in, your, in your social footprint, especially with power users like us three. Uh, when I decide to follow someone on Twitter, I, honestly, two, two thumb scrolls and I can make a decision like, ah, we're just not, I'm just not aligned to this person's mindset. Um, so, and, and, and I suspect for most power users, it's literally seconds before you decide to make a connection or not. How do you teach your students? How do you plan, how do you convey the importance of your, your digital exhaust and digital footprint? And are, the, are students getting it? Are they are smarter today compared to when you were teaching five, 10 years ago, or is this something you need to constantly reinforce in your class? Well, uh, this is a great question because I learned so much from my students today. I'm teaching at Stony Brook School of Communication yeah. and Journalism out on Long Island. And these students are working so hard and working you know, a job and going to school full time and dealing with all this pressure from the outside world in a way we didn't have to before. And what we talk about in terms of what they are revealing to the world in their digital footprint. I'm going to steal digital exhaust because it's brilliant and another great concept from Vala that I will credit you for. But that idea that everything you do can and will be held against you, not in a court of law, but in a court of public opinion by people who are looking for things to get you in trouble for. So just be, I tell people, be really careful. And I try to model my own behavior. Yeah. I make them watch me tweet. It's like watching paint dry because I spend <laughs> three to six to 10 minutes on a single tweet because I know it's the one thing that can get me fired today, can get me sure. divorced today, can get, you know, and it's going to be stored in the uh, Library of Congress or whatever. So I- right. Are they still doing that? <laughs> for a decade, for a decade. Uh, but I got to wait a decade before I run for office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if, if you think about, you know, the, the other way I think about, I tell people like, look at whatever you send right now. If you were hit by a bus, that would be your final tweet. And you know, there are people who collect final tweets. Yeah. And you know, if, if you're Leonard Nimoy, you'd have a beautiful final tweet as he did. It was gorgeous and meaningful yeah. and the power of the universe, yeah. but the rest of us are not going to be able to do that. So, <laughs> Think about every schedule. Come on. <laughs> it's your last tweet. I don't want to get all morbid, but if it's your last tweet, what will you be known for? Complaining about your sandwich order, or will you be Great sharing advice. something, make, elevating somebody else, making someone feel good, being generous, being useful in the world, being helpful in the world? That's what I tell people. You know, I, I literally, you know, delete nine tweets before I tweet one out there. Now I'm going to have to delete like 19 before <laughs> I put one out there. <laughs> You need, to hire, you need to hire someone to delete your tweets, right? <laughs> I, delete, I need all, delete all. Delete all forever. I mean, we're, we're, no, no, I, can I just say, all joking aside, Ray, we want that record of the things you've said. We, that's, that's your legacy. And so I'm on a little campaign to tell people not to auto-delete. There are people, you know, there are these tools that auto-delete your tweets. You didn't yeah, believe in them real, you know, that they were important enough. You're scared of trolls. Why let the trolls win? And then what I tell people is, Use the hashtag, hashtag life highlight, life highlight just for yourself. It's not for the planet necessarily. Mm -hmm. But if you if someone sat down and said, let me find out what were the things that were important to Ray 40 years ago when he was doing the show, how would mm -hmm. he how would they know? Because you have hundreds or thousands of tweets a month. Why not put hashtag life highlight That's next smart. to the ones that you care about? That's and then smart. they can just do, uh, you know, at uh, Vala Afshar and life highlight, and there's a beautiful memory bank of the things that Vala cared about so that we're not guessing 
what did Vala care about? He cares that's about smart. a lot of things we know. That's smart. That's really smart. I, I could never, I, I, I tweet too much to be able to search for any, any wisdom or highlights. Start now, Vala. Start now. Every time <laughs> yeah, yeah. you do something, because what you do, I mean, both of you, but Vala, when he tweets something, people listen, people retweet, people learn. And that's how you want to use Twitter. And Vala, I think most people know this, that he joined Twitter very late in life. He's a young man, but late in life. He didn't start uh, when he could have. Vala, tell them about your backstory on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually late to many things. Uh, you know, so they assume because I work for a super innovative company uh, that, uh, and I'm active on social that I'm a, you know, a, a leading user of stuff, and I'm not. Uh, it took me a decade to get into crypto, a decade to get into social, and probably a decade before I'm in the metaverse, unless Ray replaces me with an avatar on this show. And at that point, you know, I'm out. So. Oh, you're building your own avatar. We're going to have one. Yeah. For you. But, but, but definitely this is, you know, it's, it's this uh, hashtag life highlight, just learning from you two. It's, uh, you know, I think we're all active on, on these digital platforms because it's the best way for us to stay teachable. Um, and it's really hard to stay teachable. There's just so much happening. And I, and, I, and I worry about friends and colleagues and family members who are, who are not actively learning continuously because I just hope that they can find a way to stay relevant. Um, can I just say that one of the problems is that they are learning. They're learning from WhatsApp. And especially yeah. if you're immigrant families, you know this. Yeah. If you have international families, they're being poisoned every day by WhatsApp. I use WhatsApp for my business. Instead sure. of Slack, we use WhatsApp. Sure. I trust it. I use it. But I've seen the poisoning of my relatives' minds and my friends' minds yeah. in India and elsewhere from WhatsApp. So people are learning. In fact, we joke about it, call it WhatsApp University, because people think they're learning knowledge and wisdom on WhatsApp when there's a lot yeah. of poison in there. You know what's the worst thing is like when you get from older individuals that you love, like those real hoaxes you got in the 90s, back again, they come back with a vengeance. <laughs> I mean, that's where it comes back and it's, it's horrible. But hey, this has been very insightful. Thank you again for sharing. Looking forward to breaking bread with you in New York. Sri Srinivasan, CEO of DigiMentors and inaugural Marshall Loeb, uh, visiting professor at Stony Brook University School of Journalism and soon to be at ASU. So hey, congratulations. Follow him at S-R-E-E. -E. So we'll see you around. Happy Friday. Thank, Thank you. you. Tremendous, tremendous mind. Uh, and someone I highly recommend people follow because he's, uh, he's smart and he's, uh, he's generous. Speaking of smart and generous, uh, <laughs> our, our, our next guest was on episode 16. We're on episode 272. So I just want to let you know, when Ray and I were thinking about launching this podcast, we literally sat down and said, who are the most important, smartest, influential people in our lives? And they made up the first 20 episodes. They did, because selfishly, we wanted to launch a good show. So, so that just tells you where Deb Schofield sits on our on our reverence ladder i just made up that Ooh. reverence oh. ladder, <laughs> right. reverence so ladder. I, I gotta go i, I want to go quickly to uh, by the way i cut your bio in like a, a fifth uh Deb mills schofield strategic innovation consultant venture capitalist mentor advisor deb is passionate about helping companies and individuals see what's possible implement plans to achieve it i've got career advice i've got life advice from deb her, her, her vision on how things could be running at the world of the possible manifested in full force starting in, in college when she co-created Brown University's cognitive science concentration and graduated Ray, listen to this, in three years. It took me five. What? And, and, and as a... Having just co-created recently the new design engineering concentration in Brown School of Engineering. At Bell Labs, she created one of AT&T's highest revenue-generating patents that we all take for granted today. Maybe we can talk about that as well. Deb's articles in Harvard Business Review, her blog, and contribution to various business books aim to inspire people. I met Deb after reading her HBR article about being an immigrant. And I just, just on Twitter said, I read this article resonates with me. And then she connected with me, and that's just incredible generosity because she didn't know me from a hole in the wall, just someone who admired her article. Uh, Deb is a partner at Early Stage VC Firm. Uh, Deb's official positions at Brown University include 
University's mentoring maven, adjunct lecturer, member of the School of Engineering Advisory Council, mentor for the Joint Brown University Rhode Island School of Design's Master's in Design Engineering, and much more. I had to cut that off, Deb. You do too much at Brown. She's a member of the Maine Center for Entrepreneurship and in uh, Northeastern University's Rowe uh, Institute founder in resident program. You can follow Deb on Twitter at dschofield, D. S-C-O-F-I-E-L-D. Welcome back, Deb. This is your fourth appearance, and we're so four. grateful. Fourth. Yes. Thank She's you so awesome. much. Awesome. 2016, 2018, 2021, 2022, and it's going to be an annual event, so just kind of get your popcorn, buckle up the seatbelt, because we're going to have you here for the fifth and sixth before you know it. <laughs> right. We have the great Twitter. I was thinking of this when Sharice was talking, too the whole great Twitter story of our network and Sydney and CC oh champions and the Celtics. The greatest thing to happen to me on Twitter in the 10 years I've been on Twitter is what you just mentioned. And I don't want to take time from us learning from you, but, uh, but Deb wrote an article about an HBR and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me on the platform. Okay, Ray, go ahead. The floor is yours. No, no, that was always <laughs> impressive. Oh, here's yeah. my book. Oh! Oh! Not by me. Oh, I was going to say, you, is this breaking news? Because no. I thought it was yours. Okay. No, no. It's my favorite book, but no. Oh. It's your favorite book. Amazing. Well, hey, you know one of the things that you've been. Oh, go ahead, Paula. No, no. I just come on to see the title and why. And why is it your favorite book? Because this yeah, bring it up book, closer, and uh, we'll, we'll spot in Lambda Martin. Uh, Martin Berger. And, uh, the philosopher died in the 20th century, but it is basically at its succinct level. Is it about me or is it about thou as a human in a relationship, not a transaction, which gets to value proposition, how you treat people, how you treat your network. It's like just life basics. Wow. Uh, wow. The old do. So anyways, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I think I, I wrote this one. I was just, I was asked yesterday uh, a book that um, resonated me for, with, with me a long time. And it was, uh, How Do You Measure Your Life by Clay Christensen. Yep. Um, I, that's a book that I, I remember the lessons in the book. Uh, and um, I can't say that about all the books that I read, but certainly his. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Ray. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, it's all coming back to me. Subject to subject. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very fun book. It's you a really, really this? good book. It's, uh, but, uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm coming to me. I think so. Uh, I think it's required reading in, in Catholic school. I don't remember. Uh, so, <laughs> By a nice but, Jewish man. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so but one of the things you've been talking about is really um, the state of HR, and, and this was kind of concerning. You're saying HR is really out of touch with, with the rest of the business, right? They don't understand what's happening in the business, or they don't, you know, understand what's strategic to the business. So many folks you've bumped into don't even know what they sell, products, services, offerings, what, what are the trends and what's going on. So why why is that? Like that even just the basics are, are now lost in an area like HR. I, you know, I don't know. And it's, it's just really hit me because if I'm dealing with little companies, then it's really HR. Well, it's a shared, you know, mm -hmm. someone is doing it as part of their job. Um, You're talking like the largest companies here, right? So. Yeah, but in these large companies. So I've got three clients I'm working with right now. We're prepping and getting ready for their strategic planning. And so when I send out the homework, it goes to the whole C-suite. And it's all about them, their business, their markets, everything, right? And two out of the three, the, H, the heads of HR came back to me with, well, I don't really know that much about our markets and our products and our services. So I'm leaving those parts blank. Wow. Oh, and not about manufacturing and operations. And I'm just thinking like, how Whoa. the, you know what, are you like strategically- We are, we are in a family helping, show, but keep going. <laughs> um, the Why you not? know what, the yeah. bleep, um, bleep. <laughs> Like, how do you, at a strategic level, you're not doing compliance, you're not doing benefits. How nope. do you serve the company if you don't, you should be able to rattle off to me, I think, the product services, at least the major ones, the highest sure. revenue generating and highest profitability, the markets you're in, why you're in them, why you're not in other markets. You know, what are the issues with production or manufacturing or engineering? And it's just, it, it, I've never seen this before at this level. 
Wow. And I don't, I, it's only two so far, but it's got me so ticked. I'm having private conversations with the CEOs because it's like, number one, What's don't invite team? them to the strategic planning retreat because they ain't adding anything. Hmm. But like, did you know that they don't even know what you guys really do and what your pressing problems are? I mean, I just, it, it's, um, it's bizarre. And I think it's Oh no, this is happening in marketing too. No, this is happening in marketing. Oh my God, we, we're encountering these large global big companies. They have these big marketing teams. Nobody knows anything about marketing. They don't know what their product does. They're just glorified program managers. They're just doing vendor management with agencies. It's brutal. So you might be on a bigger trend here in a future book. So do you I gotta do you write think, one in the start with. But yeah. As you as you as you reveal <laughs> the, these findings with the CEOs. Do you sense that part of the responsibility is, is theirs, meaning that they don't view the function as, as a true partnership where maybe they don't invite them to the direct report to the CEO? Um, I'm assuming CHROs report directly to CEO, but maybe yeah. not. Um, no, and, they and are. They are. So, so how do you attend these meetings and not know your products and your go-to-market and your services? Do they just not pay attention in the meetings? or Or is it, and I don't want to, bringing up, you know, I don't want to make excuses, but certainly the last two years has been pretty hard on the HR function. Like, you oh. know, the, the mass policy, remote, hybrid, who comes, who doesn't, vaccinations. Like their work, I'm guessing, is double, triple just with trying to keep continuity of business given what we've experienced in the last two years. Is that an excuse or? No. Or, no, okay. Nice try. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> no cigar. <laughs> The reason I say no is because at this level, um, they, you know, there are people that work for them that are dealing with that. Not that they aren't setting policy and all that, sure. but I think it happens for two reasons. The HR people are not taking, they're not sitting at the table. I mean, they may physically be sitting at the table, but, but they they're no not, they're not there and in there. Um, and the rest of the C-suite maybe because traditionally it hasn't been viewed that way, isn't pushing them either. Hmm. Now, to huh. me, I don't care whether you're being pushed or not. If that's your role, you take it on and you do it. And especially, let's go pre-COVID, especially in this world where even pre-COVID talent wins. I mean, you've got to understand the markets and where your people are playing and what's sure. going on. If sure. you're going to help, you know, you could go to operations and say, you know, I know you're yeah. looking for this type of job, but if this is really an issue, I think we need to look for someone that's got these capabilities. Sure. sure. Um, so I, I don't think COVID is an excuse. I, I think this started earlier. I think COVID has been um, a way to rationalize maybe why not. But for the clients that I'm dealing with, they're selling today the same stuff they were selling pre-COVID. Yeah. It's not so, changing. Okay. It's not. Okay. I mean, there might be changes, but overall, it's not like you know we pivot. Dr dramatic. A billion dollar company just pivoted away from right. their core. Right. Um, no. I I just I don't. Um, to me, it's fundamentally a a lack of curiosity. Okay, so this is an HR issue, not a company culture or a management philosophy. It's just the the ownership sits with the person leading the function. Um, I see it. Yeah. For the most case, and again, I've got a small sample size, but it's yeah. like, you know, red flags going off. Sure. Um, I see the other parts of the company very integrated and in looking at what's going on. And and I think HR has taken themselves to the side and then also um, not encouraged being a part of it. So you kind of forget they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think it, it is a lack of curiosity and a lack of a sense of urgency to help the company grow, especially now since COVID, sure. and there's such an issue for being able to attract and retain talent, yeah. it is incumbent upon them. I feel like you know. You, you know, this, this is related. This is related to your other question and other topic that I know you've been hot on, which is really about product market fit, right? Where, where people are excited about the problem, they get fixated about the problem, and then they don't grow from it, right? And and maybe this is a general thing where people 
are no longer courageous enough or curious enough to ask those right questions, um, maybe something's holding them back because I, was, I wanted to say something about the social media stuff when we're talking to Sri. It's like there's no courageousness of, of people to share their views because they're afraid to be, you know, like they, they might not be the right views. They, you know, might might offend someone, you know, maybe maybe we're in that stage where people are afraid. Right, they're just afraid of the consequences of sticking their heads out or or trying to lead, and and now everyone's following. Like I, I don't know, does it, does that resonate with you? Well, it does, but but I think I can't. I'm not a good one to speak to that because my whole career and the way I'm wired is, <laughs> what's the you know, and and to what Shri was saying with um, Zelensky and being a child of Holocaust, um, what's the worst thing you can do to me? You can't put me in Auschwitz anymore. So you can't do anything to me. So in a way, it's a it's a caveated way of saying I'm just going to do what I think is right because yeah. the price of not doing of not upholding my integrity is worse than getting fired. Sure. I, I don't think that. that's a lot of people have that anymore. No, yeah. I also just think there's um, these are more traditional HR roles that have come up, mm. and. Um, and I think they're just not being pushed and questioned by the C-suite hmm. to come up with some of this stuff too. What are the right questions to ask as you're trying to figure out product market fit? Um, I think the most important thing is to ask the end user, the person that's going to use your stuff. Okay, customer. I think the most important thing is to ask a lot of open-ended questions about their life, their situation, why they do some things, why they don't do other things. Do not ask how. Yeah. You ask why, you ask what, and you get off your, like Goya, you get off your tush. <laughs> get out there, shut up, and watch them. Back to I, thou. Whoops. Mm. It's about thou. It's about them in their world, in their context, and having them um, help you understand so you can work with them to design a solution for their world, their mm. constraints, their context, not, you know, I'll pull another philosopher, Kant's divine ought, mm. not what you think it ought to be or should be. And so right is, this the, is this the jobs to be jo done milkshakes story from, yes. uh, again? Yeah. yeah, it totally is. <laughs> but even more important with our broken healthcare, I have a food bank as a client. It's one of my smaller ones who I just love, absolutely love. They, you know, they have gone out to where the people are, a single mom working two jobs with three kids. Where is she during the day? So then where do we need to be for her to just pick up food? Mm. And I was working with a bunch of grad students who thought it would be great to put refrigerators in parks in the Northeast. <laughs> and that way people, I'm thinking like, hello, the fridges aren't gonna stay there. What are you plugging a fridge into in a park? Electric you trees. Know? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm a single mom, two jobs, three kids. If my kid's in the park without me, I'm scared. I'm not happy. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. that kind of thing. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's building your anticipatory muscle, being able to anticipate what your customers need and understand the why behind the reasoning. And, and then and then de develop products and services to meet 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 those needs. Um, it could be I think it's it's anticipatory if you're doing something more leading leading edge. Okay. I think otherwise it's just plain listening. Yeah. Taking your preconceived notions out. It is not about you. It is about them. Do not judge. Um, you know. Oh well, I don't think they should be doing it that way. <laughs> well, tough toodles. You know they are. <laughs> um, it is just getting out of your own way in your mindset and treating them and listening to them for their world. When you're looking to invest early stage startups, what do you, what, what's the aha moment for you when you say, yeah, I'm going to invest in this person? Is it the idea? Is it the person? Is it the product? What, what is it? What is it that you gravitate yeah, to most? First, it's the people. It's okay. the team. So we will, I prefer an A team with a B idea over a B team with an A idea. Wow. That's now, that doesn't mean Please tweet you know, that. that. That's a great, that's great. Will wisdom. you tweet it for me? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll Thank do you. That. <laughs> I got deadlines today. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but awesome. no, it's, um, 
Now, I'm not going to invest in something that's not maybe in my sweet spot. I might have certain market sectors and industries sure. I'm looking at. Sure. But within that, it's all the character and integrity. Are these good people? No schmucks allowed. And to your point you were talking about before, which is, are they teachable? Hmm. Okay. Are they rate of learning. Do they want to learn? High rate of learning and good judgment. High rate of learning and good right. judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Now, now you know why you are on episode 16. Our audience knows. Because you <laughs> drop nuggets of wisdom like it's pouring rain. This is... <laughs> And Bala tweets it out for me. Yes. There you go. What a partnership. Hey, real quick before you go, I always wanted to ask you, who are your mentors? Right? Who's driving you? Oh. What are your mentors? What, what, what gets you excited? Who, who do you learn from? possibly be your mentor? Come on. Exactly. Like, like, do, do you hang out with the Dalai Lama and the Pope? Like, who, who are your oh, mentors? No, not them. Not them. My Ooh. mentors are my mentees. There you go, wow. Robert. Wow. I mean, that's the whole reason I do it. Is I learn yeah. from them, I grow, I stay relevant. Wow. Um, it's grad school for free. Oh wow. my gosh, I learned so much You're from these. Here to learn, it's amazing. <laughs> so, so how many of your client executives uh, embrace reverse mentoring? And if they don't, do you encourage them to do so? Maybe two. Oh, wow. Um, do I encourage them? Like all the time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, and I'll introduce them to my students and then they're blown away. Um, but um, it's hard. not a lot buy into that yet. And there's somewhere I, I know that I can get them to and there are others. It's like, oh, they, you know, no, there's so much to it's learn. It's not worth the trouble at this point. No, there's so much to learn. I have about six or seven people I'm mentoring, and I learn something new all the time. It's, oh it's, it's an amazing exchange. But we believe the best way to do it is if you have like a 15 to 20-year age gap so they don't feel like there's any kind of competition, and it's okay. just enough that you can be relatable. So, But, hey, we're here with Deb Mills Schofield, strategic and innovation consulting, venture capitalist, mentor, advisor, and, of course, smart nuggets. So you can follow her on Twitter <laughs> at DB Schofield. More importantly, um, catch her, um, of course, uh, in class if you decide to take a class with her. So thank you so much. Class with her. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. One of the most accomplished, uh, kindest, most reachable, uh, generous person I know, just Remarkable, remarkable, and 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 an engineer and an architect. I mean, she's a techie. She, uh, she's just she, she's she's just incredible. Anyway, Ray, time for you to do a recap of B two B influencing and how to uh, embrace uh, ethical journalism and be a great storyteller and appreciating different lines of business and making sure that you understand what your company does and why you do it and how you do it. So you can be a more valuable executive in your, in your business, your thoughts. You know, you, 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 I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to, um, it all begins with your ability to have a sense of empathy, right? And when we think about B2B social media today and just connecting with folks, right? Broadcast doesn't work. We've got ability to connect back with individuals, tie relationships to ideas, um, activate movements through moments that matter. And, and I think the best folks are doing that. And that's what Evan is talking about. But that ties back to where journalism is going, right? And what's happening in the future of journalism is we want to be part of something. and We crave that attention. And that's why the community aspects are so important. Everyone wants to be part of something bigger. Everybody wants to be helpful. People want to contribute and give. The problem is how do we identify what's truthful, what's real, um, you know? And, and, and it's getting harder, right? And this is changing because media's role and the platform's role, the, the reach, the virality means that we've got to do something a little bit different or we might get into more wars because or more misunderstandings or, or more bad communication failures uh, that are out there. And what Deb was talking about is also a big piece of this. I mean, this is thinking about, right, organizations not understanding the core of who they are. How can they build from something like that or not understanding that, you know, products have changed and so it's really this understanding of empathy, uh, empathy for customers and stakeholders like suppliers and partners and employees, but just an empathy for the fellow mankind, person, kind, womankind, uh, human, so that we get to that point so that we, we, we don't mistrust people. We don't misjudge something and, and we can actually, you know, 
go back to what we want to do, which is the pursuit of happiness. But anyways, uh, <laughs> you do this to me every week. I got to think of why. How, so how can you be so articulate in a car? Bray, like, that was awesome recap. And I'm going to continue to have you recap because no. the pearls of wisdom just come out of your <laughs> you know, out. All right. Episode uh, 273 next week. Ray, we're getting close to 850 guest interviews. Uh, Heather Dahl, CEO of Indicio, and Ken Ebert, Chief Technology Officer at Indicio. We have Steve Wilson, one of the world-renowned uh, security expert, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. He's a blockchain, crypto, security, incredible wealth of knowledge. And one of our favorite guests, Larry Dignan, who's uh, Editor-in-Chief at Salonis, will be joining us. Wow. I think it'll probably yeah. be his 14th, 15th episode, uh, appearance on our show. We get to see so, his new role. We do get to learn about his new job. He was a former chief Editor-in-Chief of ZDNet and now at Salonis. So, Ray, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next Friday. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.